On, uh, on Sunday nights, we've been going through a series, uh, I'm calling it uh, Contemporary Issues, and uh, just dealing with things that, uh, that the Bible speaks to, but are really issues in our society and our culture uh, that are kind of um, hot-button issues. And, um, and uh, we talked about uh, first starting out with what is our authority, where does that come from, and it come, you know, the scriptures ought to formulate our, our worldview, it ought to formulate our convictions and things. Um, but it's amazing how a lot, of, a lot of things, just because they enter into the political realm, uh, people think, oh, churches shouldn't talk about that. That's politics. No, no, no. God talked about a lot of these things much long before we started making them political issues, right? Because many times these political issues are, in fact, moral issues. And uh, so we'll be talking about an array of things. Some things will kind of hit a little more home. Uh, others, uh, you know, we might think, oh, well, I think everyone should know that. But we should never assume. We should always teach the Word of God. And, um, and bring things, you know, bring some biblical uh, answers to some of these issues of life. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the sanctity of life, a biblical perspective on the sanctity of life. These are issues that are being raised uh, in the weakest, in the weakest uh, times of life. A baby in the womb or the very end of life, are, uh, those are times in life that are under attack these days. Um, you know, they're, they're always pushing and talking about abortion laws, and, and several countries, folks, are dealing with this thing of euthanasia, uh, you know, ending life or physician-assisted suicides. Uh, a lot of countries, uh, it's really on the rise. I mean, skyrocketing in recent days. And, um, and there's even been talks in certain states in, in America of, uh, of dealing with those. I know there's been talk of it in Oregon and some of the other, um, uh, you know, less red states. Um, but, uh, but the reality is we got to ask ourselves as believers, as Bible believers, what does God say about these things? And as I mentioned earlier today, the reality is a lot of these national sins, folks, they're on our watch. And, I, and we have to ask ourselves, are we praying and are we seeking God and are we doing what we can? So we're going to give some biblical, um, uh, um, some biblical points on uh, framing what we should hold to in this area of life, as well as how we can... Uh, uh, how can we can be involved and how we ought to even talk with one another about some of these issues. So we're going to start in the beginning in Genesis 1. If you want to turn there, Genesis 1. Beginning is always a good place to start. And when we talk about the sanctity of life, what we're talking about is the belief that all, all human life is sacred and it's worthy of protection. Um, you know, we think about even the Bill of Rights in our in our own constitution is really rooted in the fact that, uh, that life has intrinsic value to it by virtue of its own creation, right? And, uh, and the reality is, as we consider even what the founders said, right, uh, that all of us are endowed by our who? Creator, which, you know, in case you don't know, that's a reference to God, okay? Uh, the Freedom from, Founda- uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation says there's no reference to God in the Constitution of the Declaration of Independence. And I think, have you read it? All right, just look for the capitalized words. Let's start with that, okay? Uh, our Creator, we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. That means it cannot be separated or it cannot be uh, taken away, including voluntarily. In other words, I can't even give up those inalienable rights, um, you know, if I wanted to. In other words... Uh, the way that it was framed and the idea that was behind it is I couldn't just give up my rights even in the area of like slavery. I couldn't just make myself a slave in America. Okay? That was the thinking early on. By the way, uh, you go back to the writings, our founders, many of them abhorred slavery. And the first draft of the Constitution actually would have abolished slavery 
but there were two colonies that didn't want to go for it, and they were in a hurry to get this thing done. So they said, we're going to table this, and uh, boy, that would have saved the Civil War if we had just dealt with it then. New York and New Jersey, those two, I tell you. But anyways, um, all the way back then. But, uh, but uh, they understood some things. They pulled these principles from the scriptures, and by virtue of creation is what they appealed to with many of these things. By virtue of creation, you have the freedom of thought. You have the freedom of expression. You have the freedom uh, to travel unhindered and, to, and to, you know, to, to carry your person unmolested. I mean, this was the idea behind them that by virtue of God creating you and giving you the value that he gave in putting his image in us, uh, that, that, is a, that is worth defending and that is worth fighting for. You contrast that to even several uh, maybe Eastern cultures or just, you know, there's a different mindset that, that life is maybe disposable. Uh, you know, you, you think about some of these countries and you say, how could they just blow up their children? How could they, you know, how could they be suicide bombers? And we, we think about these things and we have to realize, folks, we are coming at things. We are so blessed to come at things with a biblical worldview. Even if you're a non-believer, American ideology uh, is rooted in Scripture. So it should have been an amen right there. I mean, this is, I, I'm not telling you something that should be foreign, okay? Uh, I mean, do we need, we'll go back and have some history lessons if we need to, okay? But, uh, but we come back to the very beginning, Genesis 1. Look at verse number 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, as the God had communing with itself, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God creating him, male and female created he them. And so we see here, the very beginning, let us make man in our image. Um, and so without getting too deep into that, we can you know, try, to, try to discuss what is this image that was in uh, God's likeness. Um, when we think of image, so one of the first things that might come to mind is appearance. Um, but let me just say, uh, God did not make us to look like him. Okay? God is a spirit, the Bible tells us. Jesus said, and they worship him, let's worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, and the fact of the matter is we look at one another and we say, we look a little different. <laughs> Some of us look a little more different than others, uh, but we look different from one another, right? It's not, it's not the image in the sense of we all look like him, but, but there are certain aspects of God that he has, imp- that he has put in, uh, into us. Let me just say this. There are, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to, to figure this out. There are some differences between mankind and the rest of the animal kingdom. All right, lots of differences. There's cognitive differences. There are, uh, there are relational differences. God's made us to be relational creatures. There are creativity uh, differences. God's made us to create. Did you notice that? By the way, God creates. We just read the end of his creation account. God is a creative God. It blows me away how extravagant God is with his creation. Have you ever just considered the stars? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. I mean, just the vastness of the stars, uh, unexplored areas of this universe. By the way, I love that phrase, universe. What's universe mean? It means una, single, verse is a spoken sentence. The universe is a single spoken sentence. God said, let there be. Boom, there it is. Uh, I love how even in our vocabulary, it implies God. And, uh, and, and God spoke it into existence. But, but I think about even the unexplored uh, vast oceans that we have. There is such, there's such creativity in just the sea creatures and the animals, some of which prob- most people would never even see. How extravagant is this God to just make all this creativity? He's a creative God. He's made us to be creative. 
You know, you know, the animal kingdom does not, cannot paint a beautiful sunset. You know, you, may, you might say, well, you know, I saw one time on TV, they, uh, they trained these elephants to paint something. Yeah, they trained elephants to hold the brush and to, to make some designs, but to tell you what, it's not creative like we create. We, we make music. Well, the birds, they sing. Yeah, they have a song programmed into them. But can they create a symphony? See what I'm saying? It, it, God's put certain things, creativity, the need, for, uh, the need for relationships. God's a relational God. Why did He make us anyway? God's a relational God. Now, what's interesting is He is a self-sufficient God, but He has also, he has also created us and the angels and all this stuff for His glory. They are and were created, Revelation tells us. So we are here to glorify Him, but, but He's made us relational creatures. It is not good for man to what? Be alone. That is not a marriage verse, by the way. That is a social verse. God did not make man to be alone. He needed somebody to have companionship with. Now, God's answer in that, in that particular instance, was a wife, and from, wife, from, from woman and man together created family, and He told them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. But now we have people, and there we are not alone. And so, what, see, see, there's a lot of these aspects of, of this. But then there's the spiritual aspect. God put within us this desire to commune with Him. He put in all of us uh, uh, a need for this relational aspect with our Creator God that was marred by the fall. When man fell, that relationship was strained, which begins the discussion of the gospel message. The very first glimpse of the gospel is there in Genesis 3, that God would, would uh, crush the serpent's head with the seed of the woman. And, and, uh, and by the way, usually you're not going to talk about the woman's seed, you talk about the man's seed. But in this case, there was not going to be a man, for a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And that was going to crush the serpent's head. What a tremendous prophecy, and there's so much we can get into with that. But, but we see the very need for the gospel in the very beginning. This, the man was made, man fell from that position, and, uh, and you could really say it this way, there's a measure of that image of God that was lost that was in man. Look at Genesis 5. By the way, I always love when people say, you know, we're all God's children. We're all made in His image. You know what Jesus said to the religious crowd? You're of your father, the devil. Whoa. We're not all God's children. We must be brought in by adoption. And that's, the God, that's part of the gospel message. That, that's what, what the scriptures lay out for us. But notice, notice Genesis 5. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in his likeness, uh, or excuse me, in the likeness of God created him. So, so in the day, in, in the day that God made man, God made man, Adam, in his likeness. Verse 2, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son, don't miss this, in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. Now, this is interesting. Romans 5 tells us this. By one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So the death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The, 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 the fall from the image has taken place, and now a new image is reproduced. Adam was made in God's likeness and God's image. He fell through the fall, and now the sin has tainted the bloodline, and, uh, and we are now in this fallen race. 
and death is being passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So in Adam, all die. I love what Romans unpacks. But by the second Adam, we can be made alive. And that, that, that position, that relational aspect with God can be restored. So ye who are dead and trespass and sins, remember God said to Adam, in the day you eat the fruit thereof, you shall surely die. So we fast forward, Ephesians says it, Colossians says it, he says, Ye who were dead in trespasses and sins has he quickened, made alive together with him. Hey, it's restored. That image is restored. We cannot have that relationship with God once again because of what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, Folks, that's part of the gospel message. Now, that's the spiritual side of it. But by virtue of it, the fact that you and I, as God's creation, made in his likeness, made to have relationship with him, folks, there's value in that. God is the giver and taker of life. We can't play God. We can't play God in the sense of taking someone's life. We can't play God in the sense of taking our own life. By the way, what's that called when you take your own life? We call it suicide. What does the Bible call it? See, suicide is not a Bible word. We should make sure we're defining things biblically. What does the Bible call it? Murder. Murder. It's self-murder. Now we can look at what does the Bible say about murder. You see what I'm saying? And so we bring things back around. And so as we're talking about this and understanding the, the, the sanctity of life, the sacredness of life, it is worth protecting by virtue of creation. God has made us for His glory. Jesus said it this way, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. You say, well, what about all these ungodly people being born into ungodly families and the, you know, they don't even have a chance, it seems, uh, to be saved? Then we better go find them. Because herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and we are been put here for the glory of God. Revelation 3, uh, uh, um, all things are, are um, uh, He's created all things for His glory. They are, and we're created. That might be Revelation 2. It's earlier in Revelation. We're created, was it? 4. There we go, 4. Thank you. Thank you, corrector. Um, <laughs> we're created for His glory. They are and we're created. That's, that's where you and I fall into God's plan. And so, so God created us in His image for a purpose, for the glory of God. And so let's kind of go back to the beginning. So when does this life begin? Because that's usually the question, right? That's kind of how it's framed. When does this life begin? Look at Psalm uh, 139, if you would. By the way, there's a very clever thing happening in the debate of life. Um, how many of you have studied the Holocaust? At least a little bit in the Holocaust, right? Um, you ever ask this question, how did they get so many people to turn on a group of people? And what were some of the tactics? What were some of the tricks that were used to get people to turn on the Jewish people? By the way, I don't know if you noticed, there's a resurgence of that same spirit going on right now. Call good evil, but I think it's even simpler than that. What do they have to do in order to get it justifiable to a fellow human being? You have to make them seem less than human. So these Jews are less evolved. By the way, Hitler was a, uh, was a strong evolutionist, a Darwinianist. They're less evolved. They're, they're the cause of problems. They're like a parasite. They're like a plague. They're like a parasite. Now think about this. That's not really a child in that womb. It's more of like a, like a parasite. In fact, it's actually kind of like a, like a disease, really. 
I mean, that's how they treat it. It's a disease that needs to be removed, like cancer. It's a parasite. It's a parasite that might eventually evolve into humanhood, but it's a parasite. Now, folks, what do we do with parasites? We kill them. We squish them, right? So if I can convince you that it's, you know, it's kind of like a cockroach. You just, you know, if you see it show up, you just kind of squish it and you live your life. And folks, we're buying that kind of a lie. That's why I appreciate organizations that are really pushing for, uh, uh, for young ladies to see an ultrasound before they go through with it. Because what are you going to see? You can't deny, hey, that's a person. That's a human person. By the way, it's, it's tough the day that we live in when we talk about issues like this, like some of the other things we'll talk about on Sunday nights, because it's inevitable we're going to run into somebody or talk to somebody that has, that has crossed that line. But I want to say this, that should not deter us from talking about it. We want to express grace, and there is forgiveness in Christ, and, and I'm so thankful for all that. Because, let's face it, you know, a young lady uh, oh, you know, might be just confused and been told lies, and, and you don't know what they've gone through, and there needs to be healing. We need to be there and ready to, to, to help with the healing process and to go through that. But on the same side, I'm thinking about some of the other young ladies in here and say, listen, that can't be an option. You know, same thing when we talk about maybe divorce. I don't want any any of our young people to experience that. But I'm not going to avoid talking about it just because some other people have experienced it. I want to warn them. We understand that, again, there's forgiveness in Christ, and we want to go forward doing right from here on out, but I also want to warn these young people before they step into it. Mary and Derek, this is not an option, right? Got to make it work. Divorce is not an option. And so, so, so similarly, look, look, that is a human person. As a human person. So, so the debate is, well, where does life begin? Because if it's not really a life, then, uh, then, then you know, there, there may be a point where we can justify eliminating this thing. Okay? Look at, uh, look at Psalm 139. And there's many passages we can go to. I'm going to try to give sort of an overview of this topic tonight. Uh, Psalm 139. Look at verse number 13. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins, that was covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully, what? Made. We're a creation. Did you know that? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance. What is my substance? That's, that's, that's who I was. That's, that's my, my, my being. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret parts and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. That's, that's kind of poetic language of, of, of uh, being in the hidden part of the womb. You can't see it when it's going on. When, uh, you, you know, when a lady is, uh, is expecting a child, you can't really see everything that's going on, right? You see maybe the effects of it. The belly starts to swell and get, get bigger, but, but there's a lot going on in there that you don't really know. Even an ultrasound doesn't show everything, right? There's a lot going on in that little baby. And so, so it's a secret thing. It's a hidden thing, what's happening. But you know who does see what's happening? God. As he's seeing and, and allowing that, that, that baby there to be formed limb by limb and cell by cell. And it's becoming, uh, it's becoming what it's going to become. My substance, my, 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 who I am was, uh, was uh, made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance. God saw it. Yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. 
before that baby was perfect or complete or made whole, God already had a record of those members, those body parts. What an intimate God, by the way. This is the same God that says the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, that's less counting for some of us. But think about this. And that doesn't mean that God, by the way, that doesn't mean God knows how, much hair, how many hairs you have on your head. It means every individual hair is counted. I can pluck this one and God can say, oh, that's hair number See, three. Thank you. <laughs> that's so much more intimate than saying, oh, I know all about you. I know all about you so much that every hair has a number. That's how intimate it is. So God says, in the deepest, darkest, hidden places, I was starting to form you and frame you, and I had a plan. You think about all this, you know, uh, people uh, like to blame God for a lot of things, right? Why is there such suffering in this world? How come, how come there hasn't been a cure for cancer yet? Well, you know what? Maybe we aborted that one. You know, it's amazing some of the people in society that made a difference that had very rough beginnings. Well, I mean, I, we're all familiar with the name Ben Carson. What a great example, right? Single-parent home, very poor upbringing, one of the top neurosurgeons in the world. Whoa, how'd that happen? I mean, he, 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 he broke all the stereotypes. He should have been in a gang. He should have been this, should have been that. No, no, he was a very successful surgeon. He did surgery on a baby in the womb. Oh, you can do that. What if he was aborted? I mean, what if, what if some of these people that made great breakthroughs in, in society were aborted because of convenience? These are some things to think about. God had a plan, and God had a purpose, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I think about this, let's go to the very basics, Exodus 20, verse number 13, thou shalt not what? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. You don't just take life. In fact, what's interesting is when Noah gets off the ark, after the flood takes place, God adds a law that had not been previously discussed. And here's what he tells Noah, he says, hey Noah, if any man sheds innocent blood, his blood will be shed. Just, you know, that seems out of the blue. Enter in the dispensation of government. Because now we need an overseer. We need, we need a group to, to kind of make this sort of a judgment. For what purpose? To protect life. That's why government was started, to protect life. Interesting. Prior to that, Cain and Abel, what did God say about Cain? Anyone that sees me will slay me. You know what God said? No one's allowed to touch you. God protected the murderer. But after the flood, God said, no, no, that is one thing I will not tolerate. That is a capital crime, and their life must be taken. We're not going to have people just going around taking life. God says, I am the giver and taker of life. We have some implications when we think about moral law. You, don't, you can't just take someone's life. But think about this. If evolution is true, who says so? If God's word is true, it's very easy to say, where's the authority come from that life is sacred? If evolution is true, we're just a cosmic accident. We're just animals. And what do you do with animals? Well, if your horse is injured, you put him down. If your dog is injured, you put him down. We don't do that with human life. 
It's valuable. It's different than the animal kingdom. Jesus affirmed the value of life in, um, in Matthew 22. When he talks about the, they came to him and they said, what is the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He talks about how you relate to others. First to God, then to one another. In Matthew 22, in uh, verse number 37, I said this. Jesus said unto him, when they came to him, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Now, they all knew that. That was from Isaiah, uh, what is that, Isaiah 5, uh, no. Isaiah, Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, uh, what we call the Shema. Every Jewish person had that memorized. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. And, uh, and so, so, okay, that was an easy one. But then he goes on and says this. Jesus said to them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but cherisheth it and nourisheth it. That's what, God, you know, that's what the scriptures tell us in the marriage relationship, so ought men to love their wives. There's, a, there's an obvious aspect that we defend ourselves, we protect ourselves. You know, there have been stories of people that were uh, ready to commit suicide, uh, about to jump off a bridge or whatnot, and people threatened their life, and what they, they instantly go into defense mode. You see somebody balancing on the edge of a bridge, and you go like you're going to push him? He's not going to take that as help. He's going to back off, because it's instinctive in us to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves. No man yet ever hated his own flesh. By the way, when you get self-destructive and want to harm your flesh, you have to ask yourself, if no man ever yet hated his own flesh, what is causing me to do such a thing? What have I allowed into my own life to influence me that way? So what does God say? He says, you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if I'm going to value my own life, if I value my own opinion, if I value my own health, then I had to look at my neighbor and say, you know what, I'm going to value yours as well. Folks, these are some of the principles that our own um, Bill of Rights was based upon in America. You see, evolution is going to say this. Well, I'm the God of my own universe, and I decide what's right and wrong for me. And you decide what's right and wrong for you, and there's no absolutes. Everything is relative. I love, I love absolute statements like that, by the way. There are no absolutes. Really? That sounded pretty absolute to me. Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> How to win an argument with liberal. Anyways. So as believers, here's, here's the thing that's really... That, that I believe God puts on our shoulders. It is our call to protect life. It is our call to protect life. You know, I've said this many times before. What is the greatest need for any person that comes into this world? Salvation. So if salvation is the greatest need, what is the greatest way we can serve somebody? Sharing the gospel with them. And if we're concerned about their soul, and if we're concerned about them coming to Christ and being saved, it's because they have value. Their never-dying soul has value to God. I may not value them, but my God sure does. And so if I'm going to serve my God, then I have to realize I have to value them too. And I have to love them, and I have to care for them as well.
Look at Proverbs 24 real quick. You guys are doing well tonight. Proverbs 24. And then we'll bring some practicality to this in just a minute. Proverbs 24, look at verse number 11. Um, we are called to protect life. Notice what it says, Proverbs 24, verse 11 and, and 12. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? So here's the idea. You knew someone's life was in danger. And what do you do? You play ignorant. I, I didn't know. Not going to fly. I, I didn't know what was happening down at Planned Parenthood. Not going to fly. I didn't know someone was nigh to death. God says that, that's not an excuse. You know. You know these things are going on. We're called to protect life. I think about these issues, the main issues that this speaks to. Obviously, uh, I, don't think, um, I don't think indiscriminate murdering is really the issue in America. We, luckily, we do have a little bit of a justice system left, right? Somebody murders somebody, he'll stand on trial and, and things. And, and I think 100% of the time, it really should be the death penalty if uh, innocent blood is shed based on the scriptures. Uh, some people might say, how can you say that? You're a Christian, you know. <laughs> you shouldn't have, you know, it's amazing. The same group that says we should not have the death penalty, have no problem killing innocent babies. And then those of us that say we should save innocent babies should have no problem saying, you know what, a cold-blooded murderer should not have the right to live. Because that's what God said. You say, oh, well, that's Old Testament. In Romans 13, the Bible says, talks about government, civil government, that they bear not the sword in vain. Let me ask you, what is a sword for? It's to kill. Not to imprison, not to give a spanking, it's to kill. Even in the New Testament, God is for capital punishment. But with that all being said, here's the, here are the controversial issues that we have to deal with today. Abortion and euthanasia. Um, I'm very thankful for the recent uh, Supreme Court ruling that kicked it back to the states, abortion. And I'm thankful for states that are taking a stand, and they're, they're going in a good direction, heartbeat laws and so forth. But it's amazing. You know, we were talking about just before service tonight about uh, all these politicians that keep making abortion really the issue. And here's what they tend to tell them. Let me just tell you, this is such compromise. They're saying, what we need to do is just cut it off at a certain amount of weeks. I can't remember, what was the weeks that they're talking about, like 26 weeks or something like that? That's too many. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, I was hearing statistics, and the number they're talking about would make a difference on about 2% of the abortions. Why don't we just, if we're going to be pro-life, let's just be pro-life. <laughs> okay? So then I'd love to bring in the, the extreme case. What about rape and incest? Folks, if we just made it okay for rape and incest, let me just say that would be a huge victory because we're talking 2%, if that. But let me just say, does just because one person sinned, do we then continue a sin by taking an innocent life? It was not that baby's fault. It was not that baby's fault. 
And if you were traumatized because you were, I mean, I mean, heaven forbid, you were raped or something like that happened, give the baby up for adoption if you can't handle it. There are a lot of people that want a baby that can't have them. Boy, wouldn't that change if those tax dollars, instead of going towards funding abortions, went towards helping people adopt? What a difference that would make. You know how hard it is to adopt, how easy it is to abort? Talk about backwards. We ought to think about these things and say, you know what, when it's time to vote, I'm going to vote as a Christian. Well, it's not popular. When is, when is siding with God ever been popular? And why should that even enter into the equation? Well, you know, lesser of two evils is still evil. So how do we address it? We need to address these things spirit-filled, with spirit-filled responses. As we talk about upholding the sanctity of life, how, how do we respond? You know, as Christians, we are to, um, uh, who agree with, with, with what we've kind of looked at regarding the sanctity of life, we, have to, we ask the question, is this issue worth fighting for? I think it is. By the way, if, if the souls of man was worth Christ dying for, I'd say the value of man is worth us fighting for. Does, uh, does this injustice, as has been legalized in the United States all the way back to Roe v. Wade, uh, uh, you know, many times it's, it's on the top of discussion, uh, election cycle after election cycle, but does it, does it deserve to be what Christians tend to emphasize? And, and I would say, yes, we ought to defend life. We ought to defend life. The Bible establishes the church as the pillar and ground of the truth. And so as we as believers, we ought to, we ought to be looking to the Bible. And, and as a church, we say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what truth is. And we ought to stand on it. We ought to stand with God, regardless of how emotional the issue may be, or regardless of how difficult it may be. And, and, and let me just say this. Uh, be careful when you're hearing just emotional arguments. Well, you know, I have a cousin, and you know, she, she had a really tough time. And if she brought the life into this world, uh, that baby would just not have a chance. What is, so you're going to kill the baby? Folks, I've gone through some really hard financial times in my life. Did I look at my wife and say, you know, I think we should just kill our family. Why don't we all just die? Because we've got a hard life ahead. How is that the solution? We chuckle at that, but is that not the argument when we talk about bringing children into a world in a tough environment? And there are some tough cases. There's always going to be a tough case. But this is not a gray area. This really is black and white. Um, abortion is not a new issue. Abortion has been around uh, all the way back since... Uh, 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 Hippocrates in uh, 460 to 370 BC. He's the uh, the one we reference with the Hippocratic oath. You know, doctors used to have to take that Hippocratic oath that they'll protect life. And here's what he said. He said, "I will not give to a woman a um, a, 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 a pessary to cause an abortion." I think it's how you pronounce that word. In other words, he's not going to give them somebody that will terminate the pregnancy. On the other hand, uh, Plato and Aristotle both recommended family growth limitation and population control through abortion. These are the, the philosophers. Um, Aristotle, for instance, wrote, As to the exposure and rearing of children, let there be a law that no deformed child shall live. 
and that on the ground of an excess in numbers of children, when couples have children in excess, let abortion be procured before sense and life have begun. Hey, he's using the same argument. Before sense and life have begun. Now, let me ask you this. Does life begin at a different stage because technology? Because how in the world could they determine when life actually begins? They didn't have the technology we have today. So now, you know, or when we talk about viability, you know, we can make a baby live pretty young. When there's a, when there's a, a premature baby or there was some kind of medical emergency causing this baby to be delivered, we can keep a baby alive pretty young. So does that mean viability now changes because of technology when we use that argument? What I'm saying is these arguments fall apart so quickly. But pagan societies, including Rome, used abortion to conceal illicit sex. They would, uh, they would let's kill the baby. Although life was cheap and abortion was both legal and uh, common in the first century Roman Empire, the early church always took a strong stand against killing babies. And, um, and it goes all the way back, you know, uh, so one of the early Christian documents states, Thou shalt not murder a child by abortion, nor kill them when born. Hey, that sounds like today's argument. And he said, you don't do that. You don't kill a baby right before they're born. You don't kill a baby right after they're born. You don't kill a baby when they're teenagers. Because, by the way, where will it stop if we started doing that? I tell you what, very few make it past the teenage years. <laughs> I think at some point every parent wanted to kill their teenager, okay? <laughs> Trying to make light of it a little bit. I'm sorry, I shouldn't, shouldn't go there. But The Reformers spoke about it in their day. Martin Luther wrote, How great, therefore, the wickedness of human nature is. How, how many girls there are who prevent conception and kill and expel tender fetuses all throughout, uh, uh, excuse me, although procreation is the work of God. He was saying this is very clear the work of God, and we're just expelling it. Well, does anybody do sign language in here? Anybody know sign language? Do you know what sign language for abortion is? It's disgusting. It's this. That's sign language for abortion. Isn't that exactly what we're doing? Isn't that exactly what abortion is? Taking God's beautiful creation. Any of you that have had children, I don't know how anybody, by the way, can have a child and be an atheist. It's such a miracle of God. That little child, you hold that for the first time, you think, God did this. And God's now trusted us with this child. It's so amazing. So how do we respond? First of all, we must respond with clarity. We have to be clear about it. One of the tactics of Satan is add confusion where there should be clarity. We, we hear this with the word games, don't we? We change the words. We change definitions. We change meetings. Um, the, uh, you know, um, Planned Parenthood has been really good at this, on, on, on twisting things and changing meanings. Uh, in an article, uh, um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Williams noted, in the midst of this unique movement, Planned Parenthood has taken the bold step of reframing the vernacular moving away from the easy and easily uh, divisive words, life and choice, instead as a new promotional uh, film acknowledges, it's not a black and white issue. And so they're, they're, they're twisting the words and trying to change it. And by the way, it's interesting how on the one side you say, well, I'm pro-life, over here I'm pro-choice. Folks, what is the opposite of life? Death. I'm, I'm pro-life, or let's just face it, I'm pro-death. By the way, I am pro-choice. 
You had a choice in the activity you engaged in. But guess what? Whatsoever a man reaps, that shall, you know, he, he, or he's going to, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. There is, a, you know, sowing and reaping. Guess what? You broke the speed limit, you get a ticket. It works in all areas of life. And some consequences are heavier than others. You're immoral and you get an STD, you can't just undo that. Why would we treat human life that way? Sometimes abortion advocates frame their argument to suggest that the actual state of the unborn child is somewhat of a gray area. But it's very clear in Scripture. Some suggest that knowing exactly when life begins in the womb is a gray area. At various times, people have suggested various criteria uh, um, of life in the womb uh, should be productive. But, uh, but uh, uh, notice, however, the terms and definitions uh, can, are constantly, you know, they're, they're, they're being changed as these word games. And so one of the words that's used often is viability. At which point is the baby, uh, uh, the baby is potentially able to live outside the mother's womb. But again, does that change with technology? Or what about uh, those who have been seriously injured and are on a machine to help them stay alive while their body is healed? Are they now expendable? Right? They're on what we call life support. You see what I'm saying? So all of a sudden now, well, that, that, that person's 30 years old, and they're not viable right now. They can't live outside the womb. You see, where, where, do, we, where do we draw this line? It does not, it's not a consistent argument. How about cognizance? At which point the baby is aware of the surroundings. But what about someone who's in a coma or a physical state where they are not uh, cognizant? What if you have a president who's not cognizant? Who's <laughs> the heartbeat. So you might say, well, the heartbeat. The moment the heartbeat is seen a, a, is the star of life. But what about those who have a pacemaker or those whose hearts cannot beat without some sort of intervention? All of a sudden, are they disposable? You see, so these arguments, they start to fall apart. So we need to have clarity, define our terms. And when we're talking, again, we want to speak with grace, but we want to speak with clarity. Um, and, uh, you know, the scriptures, uh, you know, take it, take it all the way back to the womb. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and in sin, and my mother conceived me. Uh, and she, uh, I was rot in the, in, the, you know, in the curious parts and all the stuff that, that, uh, that the psalmist said there. It was, uh, it was in those times, those hidden places, that God knew, and that person was alive. In fact, uh, even the scientific evidence, uh, day one, on the very day of conception, get this now, all 46 chromosomes are present. It is actually a distinctly different life from the mother. Uh, so a human life has already begun. Thus, it's a unique human being with a unique genetic makeup who can never be, uh, uh, who can never be reproduced or replaced. Three weeks in, only about three weeks after conception, the child's heart begins to beat, pumping their own blood, often a different blood type from the mother's. That's three weeks, folks. Some people don't even realize they're pregnant three weeks in. Five weeks, the child's eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. This is around the time when many mothers confirm that they are pregnant. There's already hands and eyes. Think about that. Six weeks. The child's brain waves, which have already been active for some time, are now detectable. And again, that's only because of technology. Seven weeks, baby starts kicking and swimming. Every organ in her body is in place. The bones are taking shape, and the fingerprints have already begun to form. Ten weeks, the baby's teeth begin to form. 
her fingernails develop, and she can't even turn her head and frown. Three months. The baby can grasp objects, often grasping uh, the umbilical cord. Four months. The baby can start having dreams during REM sleep. Human science even agrees with this. You know, research shows that 84% of mothers decided not to have an abortion after seeing an ultrasound. As the ultrasound shows the reality of life within, many women recognize the personhood of their babies in a way that they had not before. There have been a lot of women that have regretted, what have I done? I've, I've killed my baby. I've killed my baby. They were lied to. And then they, you know, maybe they got a glimpse of the remains or, or whatnot and realized that was a person. That was a baby. A woman um, named Amy in a pro-life group saved the storks. At 21 years old, she found herself pregnant with the mindset of an abortion. But in order to obtain an abortion, she had to get an ultrasound. She saw her local, uh, lo- local pregnancy resource center that was offering free ultrasounds, so she went to their office. She'd had an abortion several years ago and felt that abortion was her best option. She told the client advocate that she still wanted to, quote, live life and wasn't ready to finan- financially afford a child. By the way, can I tell you something? You're never ready financially for a child. <laughs> or in any other way. They spoke for a long time discussing her options, what she wanted to do, and uh, whether or not she had support from anyone in her life. She said, no one did this with me when I had my abortion before. I never saw an ultrasound or even knew how far along I was. I just, they just told me I was early. After meeting with the, the center's staff, Amy started her ultrasound. As soon as uh, she could see the screen, she sat up on the exam table. That's a life, she said. I can't believe it. seven weeks a baby would have a heartbeat. She stared in amazement at the ultrasound image on the screen saying, this changes everything. By the way, these are some things to think about when we are voting and if things come up, you know, that require maybe an ultrasound or require some of these things. These are some things to consider, right? These are little victories that we could win. You know, we may not tomorrow outlaw abortion, but these are some things that will sure help save lives. We need to think about that. Even the abortion industry agrees that's a person. The primary, if the, it is the primary goal of the abortion industry to conceal the reality of their work and thus downplay or outright deny the humanity of babies they kill. One journalist, uh, David uh, uh, Deliadin, discovered that Planned Parenthood routinely alters the method of performing an abortion in order to obtain the baby's organs, which are then sold for research. In a series of uncovered videos, you guys remember some of those uncovered videos that, that, were, that surfaced? Um, in a series of uncovered videos, he recorded exclusives uh, from Planned Parenthood specifically acknowledging this. One executive stated, we've been very good at getting heart, lung, liver, uh, uh, because we know that. Uh, I'm not going to crush that part. I'm, uh, I'm going to basically crush below. I'm going to crush above, and I'm going to see if I can get it intact. This was their goal, and see if I can harvest those organs, right? And one might imagine Planned Parenthood didn't take this exposure well. They called him an activist, an extremist, and uh, there was a lot that blew up there, if you remember the story. Abby Johnson, the former director of Planned Parenthood Clinic in southeast Texas, 
had a dramatic change in perspective after viewing an ultrasound image of an abortion in progress. This site led her to quit her job, leave the clinic, and become an active supporter of the pro-life movement. She said, quote, I could not see the whole profile of, or excuse me, I could see the whole profile of the baby 13 weeks head to foot. I could see the baby try to move away from the probe. She testified this experience changed her life forever, and she vowed never again to be a part of something like this. How many of you have seen the video of the silent screen? Uh, I'd encourage you to, to, to check it out. It shows an ultrasound of an abortion. It's traumatic. But you see the baby instinctually trying to protect its life in what should be the safest place in the world. And the baby's mouth goes wide open. We ought to respond with clarity. We ought to respond with conviction. Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Well, you know, God, God doesn't hate anything. God hates hands that shed innocent blood. Abortion is the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus said, I will lay down my life for you. Abortion involves a mother saying, I will lay down my unborn child for me. Flips it. Sometimes Christians who believe in the sanctity of life fail to express these truths with conviction. Instead, they play a game of trying to figure out how, how they're supposed to respond to tough questions without sounding judgmental. Folks, we've got to stand for right. We've got to do it with grace. We've got to do it prayed up and, uh, and, and led of the Spirit. But folks, these things take place in small victories through conversations and talking with one another and dialogue and, and learning. I know these are uncomfortable topics, and even you know, a couple of times already I've teared up a little bit because this is, a, this is a tough situation, a tough topic. But folks, it's all throughout our culture. Probably most in this room know somebody who's had an abortion. This is a serious thing. It's worth knowing that abortion due to rape or incest is actually uh, so rare, it's only about 1% of abortions. It's also worth pointing out that to most people who pose the question uh, are not willing to treat the other 99% of abortions any different. You know, they'll say, well, what about in this case? Okay, what about in that case? Let's set that aside. What about the rest of the cases? What about these? You know, there was a time that even those that are pro-abortion would, would frame it this way. It's not ideal but in extreme circumstances, I think it's a good idea. Today they're saying, you should celebrate your abortions. You should wear it on a shirt. You should be proud of how many babies you've killed. Folks, how have we gotten here? How have we gotten here? The Bible talks about a time when, when there'll be unnatural affection. Is there anything more unnatural than a baby or than a woman killing her child? Folks, it's instinctual. Even the animal kingdom, you don't mess with their babies, right? Try to get between a moose and her calf. <laughs> See what happens. And yet we'll discard them. Which to me, that says we're worse than the animals sometimes. Kathy uh, Barnett, a political commentator and military veteran, described the reality of her life uh, um, brought into the world through tragic circumstances. She said, I'm the product of a rape. My mother was 12 years old when she delivered me. My father was 21 years old. 
I had nothing to do with my genesis. I had nothing to do with the conditions under which I was conceived. I had no control over the circumstances that were swirling around me. I had no opportunity to partake in the, circum or, excuse me, in the uh, cumulative decisions that would be made to sustain the pregnancy. Yet all the while, I was being fearfully and wonderfully woven together in my young mother's womb. My life has value. I am not an inanimate object. I'm a person. For me, I've given birth to two beautiful, healthy, intelligent, loving people who, who are uh, destined to grow up into productive members of this great society. I'm a veteran. I am a, a staunch lover of, of this country. I'm a, I am a supportive sister, a, respect, a respectful niece, a, devout, a devoted wife. Best of all, I get the wonderful opportunity to now care for my mother. Rape and incest are terrible sins that create awful trauma, but abortion punishes the innocent parties, the mother by the trauma of an abortion, and the baby by death. Let's instead have a fiercer punishment for perpetrators, not new traumas for the victim. I remember I saw a bumper sticker years ago when I was a kid, and it was uh, said abortion, one dead, one wounded. Nobody comes out ahead. One author said abortion is horribly, is horrible primarily because of its process in which, it's, it's an, in which instruments of death invade a woman's body to kill her innocent child. In another book he wrote, I read a newspaper editorial arguing that abortion is just another surgery, no different from a root canal or, um, or a, a, a pendoctomy. Uh, but why don't people remember the anniversary of their appendectomy, if I pronounce it right, uh, 20 years later? Why don't they find themselves weeping uncontrollably, grieving at the loss of their appendix? And where are the support groups and counseling for those who've had a root canal? You see, you're going against human nature, human conscience. There's a lot more I can get into, but you think about how do we respond. We respond with clarity, we respond with conviction. James 4:17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. Genesis 4.10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Proverbs 31.8, Open thy mouth for the dumb in, in the cause of all such as appointed to destruction. Open your mouth for the dumb. These babies don't have a voice. And they're destined for destruction. Psalm 94.16 who will rise up for me against the evildoers? And who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? So respond with clarity, respond with conviction. And lastly, we're going to, we ought to respond with compassion. While clarity and conviction are necessary to motivate us to consistently speak up, compassion is what helps our words reach their hearts. Additionally, compassion is what helps, our, uh, helps us convert our care to real, actionable steps. With that in mind... Here's some compassionate steps we can take. First of all, we can pray. And we ought to never miss that. Pray for mothers that struggle with the choice about their unborn children. Pray for churches and Christian counselors who interact with mothers making those choices. We ought to be praying for uh, the Find Out Free Pregnancy Center. We ought to be praying for some of these organizations even in our own town. And by the way, I, I appreciate the pregnancy center in town here because they're very gospel-centered. They want to share the gospel with every young lady that comes through there. We can pray. We can speak. Speak up when people, uh, uh, you know, voice pro-abortion uh, sentiments, and uh, including considering personally having abortions. 
speak up for those uh, pregnant women, uh, or, or excuse me, uh, pregnant women and single moms, uh, participate in helping them through challenging times. You know, one of the big arguments is, is well, you want to save their baby, but then you're going to leave them all destitute. You know, yeah, we should support. We should help. We should celebrate every time a baby comes into this world, even if it was brought in by sin. Hey, thank you for not killing your baby. How can we help? We can foster, we can adopt. One of the tragedies of the pro-abortion climate in the United States is that it's so slanted against abortion. Adoption uh, typically costs between $8,000 and $40,000, but the average abortion is only $500. Can you imagine if that was flipped? We can educate. We had to teach these things, by the way, to our young people. We had to be teaching these and talking about it in church. I know it's uncomfortable. I'd rather, you know, give a nice hoorah message, and you're all doing great and wonderful. Keep on going for the Lord, you know. And there are times for that, but, folks, these are, these are heavy issues. A lot of the ones we're going to be doing on Sunday nights, these are serious issues that are, that are touching our society today. And you and I, God has placed us here as ambassadors of Lord Jesus Christ, who have been put here to be salt and light in this world. And, folks, if we're just kind of, you know, sticking our head in the sand, uh, in complicit to these things, are, are we any worse than those that are, that are pro-abortion and trying to, trying to push these agendas? We can educate. We can vote. Folks, don't ever miss an opportunity to vote, especially if a topic like this is on the ballot or there is a representative who is taking up this cause. Don't miss an opportunity. We ought to vote. We ought to vote with, our, with the Bible, with an open Bible and a pure conscience. Uh, every time there's an election, I try to give out um, uh, a brochure that kind of says where the candidates are on certain issues. And uh, obviously, listen, we're never going to elect Jesus. Let's just, let's just mark that down right now. We're never going to elect Jesus. But we can look at where they stand on some of these issues that, quite frankly, are impacting the cause of Christ. And we ought to think about it that way. We are blessed to live in this country that we do have such a voice. And, um, but we need to be praying. This is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rules of darkness in this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places, places of authority. Folks, you think the, the bad guy are the politicians. No, no, there's a demon behind the politicians. <laughs> there, are spiritual, there is spiritual wickedness in those high places. And uh, we've got to take a stand. We've got to take that spiritual war, put on the armor of God, and be praying always in all prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And, uh, and then we ought to be involved. And so uh, I hope that's a help. You know, these are things we just got to bring up. We can't assume believers know these things. It is amazing so, how many professing Christians are pro, pro-abortion. It's like, have you read your Bible about what God thinks about life? For God so loved the world that he sacrificed his own son. I know we're talking about spiritual life in that instance, but, but, but if, God didn't, if God only valued spiritual life, it doesn't make sense if he doesn't value life itself. So 